Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Yesterday, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs, and Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer participated at a pipeline capacity increase rally at Mooseman, Saskatchewan, to draw attention to the controversial Bill C-69 and Saskatchewan's court case against the federal government. Well, I spoke with Premier Scott Moe and Premier Blaine Higgs on today's program about that. So what does happen when an MP declines an offer, or maybe a bribe, or refuses to buckle under pressure from the party leader and the party whip who demand that the MP end a personal practice? Well, that's the story of former Liberal MP Michelle Simpson. She joined us to share that story. Dan McTague, former Liberal MP, had some things to add to all of that. Please listen. We touched base again today with the organizers of the 80-plus strong United We Roll truck convoy, which is making its way to Ottawa. Glenn Carrot, convoy organizer, and Mark Friesen were assisted in organizing the convoy, had this to say about what they did today. You know, there's going to be a parliamentary ethics investigation concerning the Prime Minister, the former Attorney General, the PMO. Well, according to former Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Brian Peckford, who was on the program and wrote this on his blog, as usual, we go through the motions, trying to maintain that such motions constitute real accountability. The falsity of it is all breathtaking. Yesterday, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs, and Conservative Party leader federally Andrew Scheer participated at a pipeline capacity increase rally at Mooseman, uh, Saskatchewan, to draw attention to controversial Bill C-69, which will create major changes to the review of proposed energy projects, also Bill C-48, and of course also underway the Saskatchewan court challenge of the Trudeau government's imposition of a carbon tax on the province. New Brunswick and Ontario, as well as Alberta's UCP leader, Jason Kenney, support the Saskatchewan challenge. We're joined by uh, Premier Scott Moe of Saskatchewan and Premier Blaine Higgs of New Brunswick. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you, Roy. Yep. You're welcome, and good afternoon. Good afternoon. Premier Moe, let me ask you to, to begin, please. The the objective yesterday, the message yesterday that the at, at Musiman was was to the people there, to the industry, to the energy industry, to the folks in Saskatchewan, but also to the federal government. What are you telling them? Well, I think first of all, we're telling them. Uh, I, I guess I would begin just by thanking uh, Premier Hakes for uh, for for coming out, flying halfway across the country to attend, because I, I think what that really does uh, to the people in Musiman, to the industry across the nation, is show that there are provincial governments that have. You know, very deep uh, uh, support for for the wealth that these inju- these industries uh, are creating today in many of our communities, our Canadian communities, not just Saskatchewan communities. And we are very much looking forward to uh, developing uh, these industries in a sustainable manner uh, into the years ahead to ensure that we can continue to create additional wealth uh, right from Saskatchewan, right right to St. John's, St. John, New Brunswick, and and all of the communities in between. And I, I think that was the message that, that I tried to bring and that we tried to bring. And the message uh, I think we tried to send to the federal government is they also have a, a role to play in supporting 
these industries and these wealth generating sustainable in- industries in uh, ensuring that we can have uh, some open dialogue around how do we build uh, you know an energy corridor for all types of energy so that we can you know share in this wealth and develop these resources and add well add value to these resources right here in this nation. We're having a we have a lot of background noise on somebody's phone, so we'll try to fix that. Roy, that, break. that is my fault. I'm at the Toronto airport, and my my flight is is boarding, and so I uh, I apologize. Now, as long but as we I, know uh, what it is, Premier. As long as we know what it is, we can live with it. So, Premier Higgs, your sense and your your message to the federal government, because I know you want to see Energy East uh, started and finished, and you want to see Alberta oil. Uh, arriving at refineries in your province, particularly the uh, the Irving refinery in St. John. Uh, please, in your words, why is it? It's almost redundant to ask, but why do we need? Why does why does this argument need to be driven home to the federal government, which apparently doesn't understand? Well, you know, it's sad that it isn't kind of a, a national crisis that we we're in this situation um, because. We end up with a refinery that, that, that is, this could displace foreign oil, and that would make a, a huge impact. All along the route, there's an opportunity to displace foreign oil, and, and we're not taking advantage of that. With our commodity prices being devaluated 70%, you know, it, it's, a, it's one of the main factors that supplies, you know, transfer payments and the ability for our, our governments to, to uh, succeed or move forward. I, I said, you know, I, I'm a net... Uh, a user on the transfer side, I hope to become a, a, a contributor like Saskatchewan and, and, and do many ways what they've been able to accomplish in the last number of years. But, you know, we've got to work as a nation. So I came out and I was, I was uh, honored to be part of it, working with Premier Mo and, and, the, and the rally that we saw there, the, the intensity, the emotion, the excitement about putting Canada together. And uh, together again, and we've seen federal governments have been unable to do this. So particularly shutting down these, these lines, uh, construction projects, shutting down this Bill 69, which is, a, which is a pipeline killer. I mean, we've got to find a way to move the country forward. And it's going to take every province standing up and being counted. And that includes Quebec. And I'm, I'm encouraging and hoping that Quebec will help us as well, because it is indeed a national interest, and we all share the benefits. Premier Higgs, may I ask you how much oil, foreign oil, is... It arrives in New Brunswick on a on a daily or monthly or annual basis. Do you know? Well, yes, it would be the refinery is a 350,000 barrel a day refinery. Uh, I think currently it's running around two fifty in that range, and it would so we'd be bringing in probably around a hundred two hundred thousand uh, a day of uh, foreign oil. That's that's to New Brunswick. That could be more than that. That's into New Brunswick by itself. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, Premier Mo, it, it really sounds, I mean, when you think about it, uh, really think about it, it, it's it's ludicrous that we live in this reality where we sell our oil to the United States at a discount and then we mo- probably buy buy it back. A lot of the American oil that comes here is more than likely our oil that we sold at a discount, but we're buying at a premium price. Well, it, it absolutely is. And this is where we really need leadership and, and the industry needs uh, to know that that leadership is there so that we uh, can... can um, close this differential gap by selling our, our energy products to one customer out of Western Canada, the United States, and selling that at a deep discount for, for many days of the year. Uh, we have a, a sustainable, uh, t- we have sustainable targets in this industry as we move forward. Uh, you know, I, I said yesterday uh, in one of the interviews I did, uh, you know, there's a number of people that, you know, they, they think we need to move to a low carbon economy. Well, I agree with that. And one of the quickest ways to take carbon out of the atmosphere is to look at what uh, Saskatchewan and Western Canada is doing in, in the way of methane reductions. And I talked to a guy yesterday that is taking methane 
uh, methane uh, uh, flaring it off of, uh, of, a, of an energy well and actually making power out of that and putting it into our power, power grid here in Saskatchewan at virtually uh, no emissions and, and making power out of that. So this is, uh, this is where we're heading with our energy industry. That's why I say it is uh, more sustainable than, than light energy uh, coming in from, from anywhere else essentially in the world. We should be using it. Uh, we should be using it because it is uh, it is more sustainable. It will take carbon out of a barrel of oil, if you will, and uh, we should be also exporting it and displacing uh, foreign oil, uh, not only here in Canada but but around the world, and creating wealth, uh, in closing that differential in Western Canada, but also creating jobs all along the way and in St. John's, St. John's, New Brunswick. Um, if we're able to, you know, expand and 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 add value to the product that's coming out there, this is how our nation can create energy security and create uh, wealth in each of our communities while doing right by the environment for that next generation. And we need to come together to do it. And I was pleased to have yesterday uh, with, with Premier Hicks, and I look forward to visiting him again, likely in New Brunswick next time. Let me ask you this. Do you have any hope at all that, that you'll, at some point, receive uh, or, or, or experience a, a receptive uh, federal government, this this liberal government, do you have any hope, Premier Higgs, that uh, Energy East uh, will uh, eventually, or in the short term, or the near term, or the longer term, be seen as a valued contributor to the national unity and the national economy that you spoke about? Or is there, or is that a, do you have a sense I, that's impossible? I, I absolutely have hope, or I wouldn't be working this hard to do this, along with my colleagues and, and uh, Premier Moore specifically. We, we have... We have now provinces, so from New Brunswick, we have sort of Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and, and Alberta, who see a project here that is, is a nationwide project and a rebuilder. An energy corridor, uh, Quebec want to see transmission lines for hydropower going nationwide. You know, there's a mutual benefit here. And, and so I do see it as an opportunity, and I see the difficulty that federal governments have in making it happen, because they're always worried about the vote in, in Quebec. And I understand it. It's real. But if the provinces com- combine together and work with Quebec, like we need your help to be part of this solution, I just feel the people there are going to feel the same way, that they can, they can be part. And it is a transition. As we're using fossil fuels or, or oil, let's use our own. And as we sh- transition through the natural gas and renewables, it's a process that keeps the pricing fair to people that are using it, and it get, puts us on a sustainable path forward. I- I'm excited about the people like yesterday at this event standing up and being counted. And it's unfortunate that those things have to happen in order to get the message heard, but it's exactly what's got to happen. All along our the route, the pipeline route, and in the different provinces, people who might otherwise not get involved need to say, my voice needs to be heard here because I want our jobs back, I want our security back, and I want our resources to be used first. Premier Moe, I spoke with uh, a representative of the Montreal Economic Institute after Leger polling surveyed Quebecers on the issue of, of oil. And the Quebecers, 66% of Quebecers, were in favor of Western Canadian oil. Vastly more, I think it was 7% was the next one, and that was, that was imported oil. So, yeah, so a significant majority of, of, of Quebecers favor uh, Western oil. Then a, the, the number one choice for delivery was pipelines. Do, that's the that's the uh, uh, that's the voice from the people of Quebec. Are you able to communicate that to the government of Quebec? And do you see an opportunity for the for the the, the current premier to, to 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 change his view on 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 pipelines? 
I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I've talked with Premier Legault, and we have a, a good working uh, relationship, and I look forward to working uh, with him, and we'll be talking again in the very in the very near near future. And this is an opportunity uh, for us to sit down as provincial uh, leaders across across the nation and, and have a discussion about doing right by, by our, our communities in each of our provinces uh, that we represent, but also remembering that we are... We are Canadian. We are transitioning to a low-carbon economy, and we do want wealth in those communities right across Canada because a strong Quebec uh, also means a strong Saskatchewan, and a strong New Brunswick means a strong Ontario. And and this is this is uh, you know how we have always operated. I think I I, I use the uh, the words uh, when I was talking about the carbon tax uh, conversation, the legal conversation we were having in Regina last week. Um, you know, our, our nation changes and comes about and improves by evolution, not by revolution. And the same holds true for, for this discussion of, 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 you know, these initiatives that our, our federal government has put forward. Um, they're challenging. Uh, they're, they're in the road, quite frankly, of getting to a good spot. But I have faith uh, that our provincial leaders, if we continue to communicate and continue to show leadership and remember that we are stronger together, uh, that we will be able to get to a place where we can have the conversation around an energy corridor and potentially maybe moving some hydroelectric, uh, uh, clean hydroelectric uh, uh, electricity out of Quebec into other areas of the nation and North America, but also being able to move uh, some of the most sustainable energy product in, in Saskatchewan and Western Canadian oil uh, and putting New Brunswickers to work as well. And this, this is the conversation we need to have, and I'm committed uh, to moving forward with that, and I'm hopeful uh, that we will, and I think we will be able to uh, get to that table. Premier Mo, you want to see a cooperative reality emerge and an energy corridor in this country. All makes perfect sense, and yet here you are uh, as a provincial government in court challenging the federal government's imposition of a carbon tax. Uh, yeah, I know you didn't want that uh, that court case, uh, but here it is. What is what does this do? What does this court case do to the to the hope for uh, conciliatory reality? And how's the court case proceeding? Well, I, we're looking for a, a hopeful outcome, and I, I think uh, uh, you know from time to time uh, provinces have to draw a line in the sand, and, and and when they feel the federal government has overreached with respect to uh, you know the constitution that we all love and and, and respect, we saw. You know, disagreements uh, close to this nature years ago uh, from Peter Lougheed uh, when the National Energy Program was introduced by the former Trudeau. Uh, we've seen it uh, over language rights uh, in, in the province of Quebec uh, from time to time as well over the last number of decades. And, and now we see it uh, in the case of Saskatchewan. I, I think I would clarify this first, Lawyer, if I could. The conversation that we have had with respect to carbon taxation being an appropriate tool um, to address climate change. We've been having this for a couple of years now. It's a very public and sometimes political conversation. Um, you know, is a carbon tax an appropriate or an effective tool at reducing emissions, uh, addressing climate change? And if it is, which we don't think it is, um, at what cost to our economy and, and to families, household incomes, and, and to their ability to, to live, really? Uh, this conversation that we had last week in the courtroom is quite a bit different than that. It, it's not about climate change in any way. It's about the Constitution. It's about the federal government that, that we feel has moved uh, into an area of provincial jurisdiction. They're, they're, <clears throat> they're taxing, uh, you know, two, three, or four provinces, um, and they don't, have the, they don't have the authority to do that. And, and so that's, okay. that's why we're in court. Okay. Premier Higgs, would you speak to New Brunswick's support of the Saskatchewan position? Well, certainly. I mean, we think that we're just taxed out in the province. I mean, in the, we're meeting our missions. We're going to be there on standard for that. 
But we, we are, another tax is not the answer to doing what is necessary in order to meet climate change. And that's certainly our goal. And that's why we're working with the, with Premier Mo and the other provinces and saying more tax is not the solution. There is a solution to continue meeting our standards and we're committed to that. But it's just, we've got to be competitive with nations around us, uh, where, where we're exporting and we're, we're just going another step here. So that's the reason we're fighting it. We just can't keep taxing people more. Uh, my apologies. I'm going to have to step off. Uh, they're, they're calling me to get on board this plane, and uh, I hope to chat again soon. Thank you, Premier Higgs. All the best to you. Safe flight. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. We have a couple of minutes left with, uh, with Premier Scott Moe. Premier, um, it, it speaks volumes, though, when we have uh, a, a number of provinces finding it necessary to align themselves against a federal government because those provinces f- see the federal government as being... Uh, not helpful. Yes, it is, and uh, it's troublesome. And I think from time to time, in fairness, um, all provinces uh, have disagreements with, uh, you know, the the federal policies that are putting forward normally, and I was hopeful uh, with this uh, particular federal government in particular because they did run on a on a collaborative uh, uh, platform. Uh, Normally, uh, you are able to find your way uh, through most of these things, or at least find a way to to operate within the confines that are there. But the, a few of these policies, C69, um, uh, the carbon tax, are, are just uh, so uh, regionally or, or industry-specific uh, in the, the hardships that they will cause uh, without really creating any, uh, any results from a, from, from a, for what they are intended to. For example, uh, for example uh, if we were able to put together uh, some type of an east-west corridor here in the nation and really... Uh, remove some of the carbon from the atmosphere uh, over the next number of years with what we are doing at the production level and what they continue to do when they invest in the in the uh, in the refinery in in New Brunswick. Um, we could be we would be able to count those emissions as uh, those that reduction in emissions relative to bringing oil in from Saudi Arabia per se, um, you know, and and do better by by the environment, do better by that next generation. Um, you can do all of that without trying to tax Canadian families. Yeah. And, so it's 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 problematic at, at the best, but we uh, we're, we're giving we'll have a little nudge hopefully here in court when the court comes to a decision and and maybe we can get everyone back to the table and have a little little more productive uh, traditionally Canadian conversation. Well, Premier Mo, I can tell you that my listeners and emails that I see and Twitter and tweets that I see and phone calls that I get on the air understand and support by vast majority the position adopted by the province of Saskatchewan and supported by. New Brunswick, and supported by Manitoba, and supported by Mr. Kenny, if he becomes the Premier of Alberta. Wish you well, sir, and always, um, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for the time today. Take care, take care, Roy. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, sir. Still so much to be said and so much to be written about the situation between the Prime Minister and the former Attorney General that I got to thinking about uh, my friend Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, and uh, what she encountered. And, and I was just remembering what happened to Michelle when she disobeyed the uh, leader of the party at the time. The, it was the Liberal Party. Then it was Michael Ignatieff. Michelle Simpson joins us along with Dan McTague, Canada's gas guru. How come I'm paying more money for gas today? <laughs> We'll need a whole segment on that, right? <laughs> Could it have anything to do with the fact that it's a long weekend in some of the provinces? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the answer is yes, eh? Yeah, I guess so. 
How much is a gallon of gasoline in California? Three forty-nine oh. average, and yeah, um, yeah, in that range, it's three seventy all the way down to three thirty. Okay, but thank goodness it's not Hawaii. But it could be. Now, I wasn't asking you. I was. I wasn't asking you. I was asking. Well, we have to know these things. Yeah, Michelle. <laughs> no, oh yeah, well, Michelle is in California. Ah, what are you paying? Yep, that would be about right. Although I confess, I don't fill up the car. My husband does. So I don't have That's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a whole other show. Okay, let's start with this because I really, Michelle, I thought about what you've shared with us when we did our Beauties and the Beast segment. By the way, Michelle and Linda and Catherine will be back. We're going to do these Beauties and the Beast segments periodically when, when issues arise where all of us have a, want to get at. But I remembered what, uh, what, what happened to you. Not everybody knows this. Not everybody listening to the program knows what happened to you. And it is relevant at this particular time to look at what can happen and, in fact, did happen to you as a member of parliament. So you were doing what at the time that got the attention of the party leadership? Remind us. Um, I, I posted my expenses online but, you know, I did it with the permission of the whip. Dan would remember Roger Kuzner, and I've got that in writing. Then they changed the whip, and the whip didn't like it, so he gagged me. Now, why did you post your expenses online? Well, I made that promise when I was campaigning because I understood that as one MP, there's very little that you can do. So I thought, this is something I can do and can point to having done. And my constituents really appreciate it. All right, so you took whatever you expensed back to the federal government, yes. you put on online so that your constituents and anybody who followed you went to your website, yeah. Anybody could see what you had expensed back to the government. Yeah, and line by line, okay. you know, in various categories. So the first whip that you dealt with gave you the green light on that. Then comes another whip or appointed, and that whip says no. So why, how did that conversation initially go? Not good. <laughs> um, I was told I had to take it down, and I said, sorry, that genie's out of the bottle. And secondly, I wouldn't do it anyway, because it makes me look bad, it makes the party look bad, and I'm not doing it. So you say... So I'm then I got, I, got, I got gagged, and then I asked to see the leader and had an interview in his office, at which point he said, oh, I can resolve this. He never did. So let me understand, gagged means you were shut down. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't get to speak in the House of Commons again. Okay, and we talked about the fact that at the time, a 21-year-old constituent of yours was in the Canadian military fighting in Afghanistan, and he lost his life. Yes, and it was for a memorial that we got a tree for him. I also had that police officer, Ryan Russell, who was mowed down by a snowplow, um, killed, and I was refused the opportunity to speak to that. Ken Dryden did it in my place. So you're the, you're the MP. These yes. are your constituents, the family of the 21-year-old. 
would be yeah. looking to Michelle Simpson, their member of parliament, to acknowledge their son's death wearing a Canadian military uniform in Afghanistan. And you are told, you're gagged, you may not even acknowledge the fact that this young soldier died in Afghanistan, and you may not acknowledge in Parliament the fact that the police officer died, also one of your oh, constituents. Oh, was murdered. So, I, I mean, I was, they, uh, all I got from uh, the whip was, you know what you have to do if you want to speak. So stop posting your expenses and you can speak. Oh, rip them down. Rip down what you've done. Rip down what you've done. Yeah, what I've already posted. We want it gone. And I said, no, 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 no. And I felt bad. Not even for these two constituents could I do that. Now, you were then, the the then party leader got involved, Michael Ignatieff. Yes. You were in his office. Yes. And you were made an offer. Tell us about the offer. Well, I could, uh, the, the offer with the whip there was a bigger office and but then he acquiesced and said oh i'll look after it but michael never looked after things so you were offered a bigger office yes if you took down with a bathroom right i remember that if you if if you took down what you'd posted about your expenses if you took down your posted expenses and if you promised not to do it anymore that's right Make it go away. That's what you have to do. But then Michael acquiesced, and he said, because I, uh, I, I got mad, and I said, you're making yourself look bad. You're making the party look bad, because I knew they couldn't kick me out of caucus because I, they'd have to explain why. Okay, so he said he'd, he'd, he'd make it go away, but he didn't. No, that's right. I never got to speak in Parliament after we changed whips. And that is only because you had promised during the election campaign to your constituents that you would keep them posted, literally, on what your expenses were, what you were charging to the federal government. And for that reason, you lost your speaking privileges because you didn't agree to stop doing that and take down what you'd put up already. You were offered the bigger office with the bathroom. You said, no, on principle, I'm going to continue posting. And they said, well, now you're shut down. You're gagged. Yes. And I did it with Roger Kuzner's permission that I got in writing. I didn't blindside them when I first started it. And he said, "You, whatever you have to do, Michelle. So I knew what I had to do. And I, I'm sure... Dan has cases. Well, let's do this. Let me take a quick break here, and then we'll come back, and we'll ask Dan for his thoughts on what happened to Michelle. And I'm guessing there was conversation among liberal caucus members about what happened to Michelle. But we'll talk to Dan McTake, who has 18 years' experience as a member of Parliament in the Liberal Party. This is just coincidentally the Liberal Party. Could have been conservative, could have been anybody. I just happen to know about Michelle's story. So, Dan, as you're listening to Michelle relate what happened to her, uh, for standing on principle and something that I would imagine 100% of voters in Canada would have been in favor of, was there talk among liberal ranks about what happened to her at the time? 
Well, there was, and Michelle, of course, had led the charge, and uh, other uh, MPs had uh, begun the process of doing exactly the same thing. So this was starting to become a bit of an inconvenience for those MPs who may have been able to, uh, how, how was it, uh, how, how would one put it, um, you know, not put the light of day onto their expenditures. And I'm not suggesting anything was untoward, but uh, they certainly didn't want, uh, nor did they int- have an interest in ultimately uh, providing a greater degree of transparency in terms of the work that they're doing. And of course, the punishment made no mis- no no sense. The threat of punishment, uh, I won't mention the whip because I had trouble with him as well. I'm saying him. Um, yeah, but, no, mention him. Uh, well, Marcel Pru. Um, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, Dan. I mean, Marcel, look, uh, there are a group of people who felt this was sort of, you know, running the show. And it wasn't necessarily him saying, hey, this is my, my shot, this is my call. It's that other MPs were likely coming to him, and I'm sure this happened in other parties. Hey, we don't want to have a spotlight put on our expenditures. Now, that, that should raise alarm bells. In it should itself. ring every alarm bell in Parliament. Absolutely. And, but you know what? Michelle's the pioneer. And today, that is, that is a de facto way in which we do things. We are, uh, you make an expenditure, you have to make it public. So, well, doesn't, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but doesn't Justin Trudeau make it a point to, 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 to actually inform people, and rightly so, that MPs must now post their expenses? Yes. But I'm, what I'm saying is that you know, Michelle had to go through hell uh, yeah. before she proved that what, uh, what what we have today, which is taken for granted, uh, yes, of course, will be open and transparent. But, you know, there were victims along the way. And, uh, yes, you know, career advancement uh, in terms of how you move up the ranks uh, and get your, you know, do things for your constituents can be blocked by people who can't see further than their immediate interests. And I think that's why the story is so important to tell, because it's one of many where, you begin to rock the boat, not because you're trying to be a smart aleck or because you're trying to be a rebel, as I was often called. No, it's because there is a better way, and that's we have to evolve as a parliamentary system. But by the way, that word parliament, pretty damn important word. If you translate it into French, it means the ability to speak out. And if you circumscribe or you prevent or you muzzle somebody from being able to do that, that's... Uh, that's the pinnacle of the you know anti-democratic movement. Did you, context. Dan? Did you find yourself in in the crosshairs of party leadership? Many, many times. Um, I mean, it was not. It was well known that my voting record was uh, among the most. Uh, well, let's put it this way: if it wasn't in the campaign, it wasn't something we campaigned on. I felt they were open and free votes. In fact, uh, under the Paul Martin government, it was most things except for uh, matters of confidence were, in fact, free votes. So I took that uh, to mean that, uh, that, you know, things are, uh, you know, if it's not something you specifically campaigned on, your party didn't campaign on, then to me it was uh, how you look at it. Uh, it's what the public, it's how you, you perceive these uh, these problems, these issues. Yeah. It also innovates our parliamentary process, which, of course, hasn't been done in a long time. I know that of you, and, and I've, known you, I've known you for 30 years now. Um, <laughs> well, we, we were just we were kids in short pants when we met. Um, M- Michelle, let me ask you, can you, can you both stay a little bit longer? Because I want to ask you about what's going on currently. Can you, can yeah. you hang out a little bit sure. longer with us? Okay. Yeah, just, just I be- can. Okay, good. Uh, how many people, just percentage-wise, give me a very quick answer here, Michelle. Would you, uh, what percentage of members of parliament would do what you did and what Dan has done and say, I'm here to represent the people, not always to be just a voice for the party. I think there wouldn't be that many right now because they form a pretty strong government. You had a bit of a shot 
when we were in opposition. Okay. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Dan, but yes, of course. Okay. Um, b- before we before we go on to pick up where we were, it's fair to say, is it that parties they all they all they all behave in this manner? They all have. There's the hierarchy. There's the there's the there's the there's the, the people at the top, and and if you're not, I mean, you listen to the people at the top or else, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, everyone has their own code of, uh, of conduct in terms of party discipline uh, and what parties expect. But the reality is that uh, you know none of them uh, get to the point where they're as egregious as uh, where you ha- you put pub- the public's interest, the public's perceived interest. Uh, against uh, the interests of a member of parliament. So in other words, you're always wanting to make sure that uh, you're not very far from where the public uh, genius is, if you will. The public wants something like this, you stand up for them, and parties usually back off. In this case, they didn't. It was uh, one of the reasons, I think, that it led to our defeat in 2011. So let me ask you, uh, for your sense, your thoughts on what's going on now, what the story is, what the backstory may be. What are you thinking about? Michelle, let me start with you. What what is, in your, from, assessors, please, what's going on? Well, if the report is true, but we've heard this story change a few times, um, it just seems to me that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould was demoted. That was her punishment. Because it's no secret, and Dan could disagree with me, that Veterans Affairs is like the graveyard, you know, of ministries, and that's why I think it does so poorly. But I was pleased that she even had the temerity to quit, and I don't think it was because she didn't have a prestigious portfolio. I think she just got angry. Dan? Well, look, uh, this whole situation, I think, has become a uh, a train wreck uh, in slow motion. Uh, and there's yeah. no doubt that uh, not only did they deep six her by the demotion, uh, which she really held back in terms of uh, her explanation, uh, she sort of allowed, uh, I think, the optics to do the work for her, and media did their good work, Bob Fife, Steve Chase, and uh, now many others. Uh, but I think there's, you know, you're seeing excuse after excuse, excuse being trotted out, and the public is not buying it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's easy to be very critical of the way which Mr. Trudeau has handled most files, uh, but this one doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. I think ordinary Canadians get it, and I suspect that this may be the reason why there is significant angst from the many liberals that I speak to, certainly members of Parliament, who are uh, deeply concerned about this and see shades of Gomery and the... Uh, sponsorship scandal. It's hard not to. Very quick time. It's hard not to. Yeah. Yep. Now, now, when Mr. Trudeau got, got up and he said with a reasonably straight face, and I think this was the third story of the week, that there would not have been a cabinet shuffle, or I think his words were, I wouldn't have had to move things around. Um, when he said that had Scott Bryson not left that Jody Wilson-Raybould will still be the Attorney General, even to somebody who is only marginally aware or interested in parliamentary machinations, they would probably sit straight up uh, at that statement and say, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you've yeah. got 160 MPs to pick from. Uh, you know, uh, this one particular incident is the reason you deep six her. I know. I mean, that's that's baloney, and he knows it. And so, thankfully, do most people out there look? They're not buying their spin anymore, uh, and that's the danger. Uh, this is uh, this is a, uh, a significant direct hit to the integrity of, the, of that prime minister and the people around him, and they can't you know slough off the blame to people who passed or people current or people in the future who might or might not be in cabinet. This rests with Justin Trudeau, uh, Katie Telford, and of course uh, Gerald Butts. Uh, it, the buck stops there. Yeah, Michelle, what do you, what are you hearing? What's what's the grapevine telling you? Um, basically, what Dan has said. This was all orchestrated by, I, I don't know if directly uh, the Prime Minister's fingerprints are on it, but certainly Katie Telford and Butts, I, I you know, they're just into the power. Well, you know, it would be very helpful, would it not, if the Justice Committee were in fact to call Mr. Butts to testify, would call yeah. Ms. Telford to testify, were to call Mr. Bouchard to testify, and were to, in fact, very directly invite Jody Wilson-Raybould to share what she knows and say, any gag, any perception that you're not allowed to speak has been lifted. We're greenlighting you to say what's <laughs> on your mind. You know, Roy, in the last election lead up to it, uh, many liberals campaigned on the idea leading up to the nominations. Let her run was one of the big points that uh, we received. I was a riding president, uh, and we had that right driven every single day. Let her run, let her run. Well, I guess they forgot along the way that the word run should be here replaced with speak. Let her speak. And, of course, that is uh, that demonstrates the extent to which the damage is done and their brand has taken a major hit. I don't think they're going to recover from this. Uh, if Canadians, uh, you know, seem to want to dismiss the idea of what is looks like subversion of justice, then I think uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I give up on the system. But I know Canadians are a lot smarter than that. I think this is it. Uh, this was uh, do or die for uh, the federal Liberals under Justin Trudeau, and I think uh, you know I, you'll be lucky to make it to the next election. Is it uh, is it an autocratic reality inside the party walls? Is it uh, is it really just no? On Tuesday, uh, the prime minister held a caucus meeting, but it wasn't. He was on the phone, and uh, everybody was uh, supposed to attentively listen, but not be heard from. It was like when you were a kid at the table, you know. Uh, you know what was the line they used when we were kids? Speak, but uh, don't, don't speak, but or, or wait until you're spoken to, or whatever it was. That's it. But they but but the the members of the caucus were not allowed to speak. It was just the prime minister speaking. I can't imagine, I really can't imagine how that would go over as a, as being acceptable to a room full of adults. Well, no, and I, I think there's a point where in the past we have had conversations, quick meetings uh, uh, with respect to the anything from coming from the leadership, and normally there is a back and forth. There is an opportunity to consult, there is an opportunity to discuss. Uh, if this is simply going to be one-sided, then I think it uh, really leaves a lot of my colleagues, my former colleagues, uh, in a no-win in situation. Uh, they're uh, they're taking it on the chin, and it has nothing to do with them. It's the uh, it's the three amigos that run the show in that office, and one of them, at least in the near future, is going to have to be the one to take uh, you know take the jump. Um, and even that, I don't think, will, will change much because at the end of the day, all three of them uh, operate uh, symbiotically. If you were still uh, both in Parliament, if you were both members of the government, if you were both MPs, if you were both members of this caucus, 
How would you react? Michelle, what would you be doing now? Getting ready to not run again. <laughs> because there you go. We, when I, I used to go to caucus meetings, and there was a back and forth, and all the caucus members didn't necessarily have to agree. But you got to speak and get your say when I was there to be totally told, you know, then what do you need me for? Well, and the other thing, of course, uh, is to recognize how different caucuses are. The Trudeau caucus is one of, uh, you know, of, of congratulatory comments. It is one, from what I understand, of not anyone really standing up to the prime minister uh, or to the uh, to the uh, to the various ministers when it comes to substantial issues of policy or perception of that policy. Uh, in my time, yes, you would you would get hit back, but you at least had ten, fifteen people who always had the ability to stand up, s- express themselves on condition that they didn't just go and blab it out to the media afterwards. Uh, we had many, many times over my years there where we had fundamental reasons for disagreement. Some of the best debates were never heard because they were inside those four walls. That doesn't happen anymore because you have a prime minister who is very sensitive to being critical. And uh, now he's not just being uh, criticized by his own. That doesn't, uh, we're beyond that point. He's now being criticized by the very media for a long time, in my view, gave him a big... Uh, I think media media generally done a very good job in pursuing this yes. story. Yes, and not have. And not cutting him in the slack and being very objective and being very straightforward and asking questions that needed to be asked. I mean, actually very, very, very encouraged and proud of my fellow media, fellow media, uh, for the manner in which they've handled the story. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you both very much for joining us. Uh, this, the next months are going to be very telling, and it'll be very interesting to see how many uh, liberal members of parliament may decide that October the twenty-first is not a day they are going to be running any longer. We know one already, a friend of both of yours in Atlantic Canada, said, "That's it. I'm done." Uh, yeah. Whether it's specifically related to this case or not, I don't know. More but to come, Roy. A lot more, to come. more to come. More to come, yeah. Yep. Three or four yep. anyways. Okay. Thanks, both right. of you, very much for joining Good us. talking to weekend. you, Dan. Bye, Michelle. Enjoy. Okay, bye-bye. Michelle bye-bye. Simpson, Dan McTague, both former Liberal members of Parliament, and Mr. McTague telling us more to come, many more to come. Yesterday on the program, we spoke with... The uh, organizers of the 80-plus strong United We Roll truck convoy, pardon me, which left Red Deer, Alberta, earlier in the week and is now in Ontario making its way to Ottawa for a protest rally on Tuesday in order to alert the federal government to the economic plight of many thousands who work in the Western Canadian energy sector and to challenge bills C-69 and C-48. They're back with us, the organizers of the convoy, Glenn Carrot and Mark Friesen. Glenn, Mark, where are you now? Hey, we're, uh, we just came outside of Marathon. Uh, we left Thunder Bay this morning. Uh, we had to take an extra little uh, stop here because there's just so much support. It's just overwhelming. We're stopping in every little town, and there's over a 1,000 people in uh, you know outside of Thunder Bay. And uh, just a little town of Marathon, the fire department stopped. We stopped there, and there's about 150 people there. You know, just everywhere we stopped, it's uh, people supporting this this movement that just you know it's just overwhelming how much it's bringing uh uniting canada is this all taking you by surprise the reaction that you're getting or were you expect i mean you must have expected there would be positive reaction but you're telling me you're getting i hear you saying you're getting more than you expected oh i it is it is 
way more than we expected. I mean, we, we knew that we had a disconnect with the government and that, uh, you know, that the whole country is feeling it. We, we just didn't, I, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, people, we've got kids running off, of, you know, down the hills to the side of the road to, you know, they're waving frantically and it's just, it's just, just giving us such support. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. And Mark's going to tell you, it chokes us up. Uh, cool. Pretty okay. good. Okay, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, hi, Roy. Uh, we're going to be in cell service here fairly soon, I think, so I'll get in real quick here. Yeah, it's just been unbelievably, it's it's so heartwarming and, and unexpected that we would receive this level of support in every town, in, on every road, uh, side road that goes onto the highway. I mean, we talk and, and we do live feeds on Facebook and we're showing the people on Facebook what's happening. You try to talk, but you can't. You're just choking up at all the support and the love that we're receiving. It's just phenomenal. It's way more than anyone could ever hope for. What are, what are your plans uh, when you once you get to Ottawa? Are you planning on getting as close to Parliament as you possibly can? What's, what's going to happen? Well, we're, uh, we're parking trucks right on Wellington. Uh, the planet, we've got permits in place. We're We've got uh, a rally lined up right on Parliament Hill, right on the steps. That's, uh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that we're getting close to Parliament. So we've got speeches lined up from uh, every representative, from the farmers to the veterans to the yellow vets to some political leaders to every, every indigenous, uh, uh, Fort Saskatchewan or Fort uh, McMurray strong. Uh, you know, it's, it, we're, we're getting there. We've got a rally planned and and uh, they're going to have our voices heard. There's no doubt about it. And uh, you're there for one day, right? Two days. Two days. 19th and 20th, yeah. And we, uh, 11th, to, 11th to 3 on the 19th, and uh, so 10, to, 10 to 1 on the 20th. And, you know, and we invite from Western Canada, all of Canada. we got trucks coming from the east, too. You know, there's about 40, 50 trucks coming out from there. The truck's going to join us from Ontario. We're going to have a couple hundred trucks parked right on, on Wellington. And we invite... We in and the United States. Okay, so we're having a little trouble with the mobile uh, connection here. So I was talking to was that Glenn or Mark? Okay, well, let's let's try you both. How let's see if one of you is clear. Can you hear me, guys? All right. Who, who's this now? Glenn, Mark, are you there? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. Sorry, we're just on the road, of course, going, uh, you know, towards uh, Wawa, and uh, reception's not very good, so I'm not sure if I still got you there. I don't, I've, I've got you. We still have Glenn. Let's call Mark back. Um, so are, you have social media sites active. On Twitter, you're uh, at United Convoy, right? Yeah, yeah, United Convoy. Um, you know, I'm so busy with other stuff, I haven't been able to keep up with uh, Twitter, unfortunately, but... You know, we're on the Facebook page, United United We Roll Official Convoy for Canada. We've, uh, you know, our GoFundMe page, uh, over 100,000. And, you know, trucks have decided to join us. We need support. We need support. we got to get, you know, now there's talk about the guys are just going to continue to band together and, and get back home after it's all over. But, you know, it's, uh, we, need the, we need the support to keep coming. We're, we're going to get there. Uh, well, this is ha- this has to be expensive to drive a, a truck, big truck, from Red Deer to Ottawa and back. Plus, you've got the accommodations that you uh, 
that you're yep. that you're paying for this 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 is expensive for you guys it it is very expensive it's uh you know if each truck is uh, three three thousand to three five hundred yeah uh, this is not the 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 the, uh, the connection just isn't isn't very good uh look uh glenn thank you for joining us and uh and and mark as well and we wish you a safe drive, and we'll certainly be keeping up to date on what happens in Ottawa on Tuesday and Wednesday. Thank you. Okay, guys, thanks very much. Okay. Mark Friesen, Glenn Carrot, organizers of the United We Roll convoy, which is making its way to Ottawa. They'd be there for two days, as you heard. I'd, I wasn't aware that they had the permits, and they were going to be right up against Parliament Hill, so it's going to be impossible for members of Parliament and impossible for the Prime Minister to be unaware unless he's going somewhere, of, uh, of, this, of this convoy of trucks. And it's, it is an, uh, a, a huge commitment to, to drive those trucks. And they've got the, uh, the big rigs without the trailers. I've, you can see the video. Go to at uh, United Convoy on Twitter. You can see all that. And uh, I think we heard Mark say it's about $3,500 is the commitment. I think that's what I heard him say, $3,500. is a lot of money particularly when times are tight for them economically, but they feel that it's absolutely necessary to get that message to the federal parliament, and the best way to do that is in person. Uh, you heard him say there's a GoFundMe page, so uh, you can find that and contribute if you, if you wish. I'm joined by the former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Brian Peckford. The Premier sent me kind enough to send me his latest blog piece, and they're brilliant. You you really should read them. It's Peckford42 at WordPress.com. Peckford42 at WordPress.com. And you started this particular... Well, here's the headline of the, uh, of the, of the, of the blog. SNC-Lavalin, ethics probe, empty. Commons committee, empty. And then it's, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. So, Premier Peckford, uh, where do we begin? Should we begin with the fact that we know that the Ethics Commissioner, Mr. Mario Dion, who was selected by Mr. Trudeau and the federal cabinet without the uh, assistance or participation of the opposition parties, which the Canada Parliament Act requires, according to what Duff Conacher from Democracy Watch told me, um, we have a, we're going to have an ethics investigation of the actions of the prime minister, the PMO, vis-a-vis -vis the former attorney general, and you're very much comforted and assured by this, I take it. <laughs> I am not comforted or assured at all. Uh, if one reads some of the latest stuff that the ethics commissioner did, which was uh, the prime minister violating four sections of the Conflict of Interest Act uh, and, you know, essentially tried and convicted, Section 5, 11, 12, and 21, and found to be guilty of contravening these provisions of the law and gets a $100 fine. And the minister, Mr. Morneau, breaks Section 22-2A and Section 22-2D of the Conflict of Interest Act and gets a $200 fine. We know what we can expect uh, from uh, the uh, ethics commission probes. They have no teeth. And so while it looks good in essence and at its core, it is ineffective. So, so here I'm we are. very saddened by that. And, of course, 
The other provision that's happened uh, during this uh, scandal that's unfolding is the committee, the Justice Committee of the House of Commons, that once again it's dominated by liberals who are going to protect the Prime Minister and this government. So the two areas of study and investigation as to what has happened are lame and ineffective procedures. And therefore, not only does Canada look bad because of what has happened with SNC-Lavalin at the World Bank, where they're not allowed to do any more business for 10 years, one of their subsidiaries, not only do we have a Canadian company that's giving us a bad reputation internationally, but we have a process to deal with problems like this, which gives us a bad reputation internationally. And so I'm very, I, I don't, I'm not very comfortable. And as I said in my uh, opening blog, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way because there is these so-called investigations which are really obstacles to getting at the truth. You know, here we are, and I guess most of us still feel there's some degree of accountability in Parliament. We'd like to believe that. And and I, I receive a lot of emails from uh, folks who are asking about the Ethics Commissioner's investigation. What are you expecting, Roy? And I'm from now on going to just refer them to your blog piece. And I want to—I just want to read a few lines from from what you from what you wrote. The efforts to date to get to the bottom of the alleged shady dealings of SNC-Lavalin and the government of Canada are ineffective and starkly point to how really unaccountable our system is. As usual, we go through the motions, trying to maintain that such motions constitute real accountability. The falsity of it all is breathtaking. Recent memory should inform us of just how ineffective an ethics probe is. Our Prime Minister broke four sections of the Conflict of Interest Act, first PM since the Act was passed. Mary Dawson, the Ethics Commissioner, in her December 20, 2017 report said the following, Mr. Trudeau contravened sections, as you said, Premier 5, 11, 12, and 21 of the Conflict of Interest Act. Those are not my words, but those are the words of an independent commissioner, and it took almost a year to do this report, and it results in a $100 fine. You get more than that if you roll through a stop sign. Exactly. Exactly. Or if, you par- if, you're, park- if, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if your parking meter expires, right? Yeah. Well, it can happen. Absolutely. Now, speak to us of the significance of a prime minister of Canada— whether it's Mr. Trudeau, in this case it is, or any other prime minister being found guilty by the ethics commissioner, who was not exactly unfriendly toward the Liberal Party, uh, being found guilty of four ethics violations. What is that fundamentally to you, as a former politician, former premier in this country, speak of? Well, to me, I mean, I, I've uh, th- this has been, you know, a sore point in my in in my craw for ever since it happened. Uh, that uh, and when, when I talk to Canadians and they always just refer me to America and all the nasty things that are going on in America, and I try to bring them back to what's happening in our country, where our prime minister broke the conflict of interest law four times. They look at me, and most times they really don't believe what I said. That's why. In my blog, I actually quoted uh, the ethics commissioner because there is, unfortunately, a sense in this country that people like myself and others who do this kind of criticism are really being partisan and we're really not, we're stretching the truth a little bit. So that's why in most of the things I do on my blog, 
I actually go to the source. And I wish more uh, written media would do this. Sometimes they'll say, oh, the prime minister was accused uh, of breaking conflict of interest law or found to have broken it, but they won't quote the actual ethics commissioner's decision, which gives it a lot more credibility. Now, it seems to me that if this happened in the United States or happened in, in the U.K. or in France or any of the Western industrialized countries, that their leader was found independently to have violated four sections of the conflict of interest law, that a lot more would have happened to that leader than happened in this country. hundred dollars. You, know you know what the feeling is by people? I've seen this. I've heard it. People have said it to me. Well, if it's only, uh, you know, it's, it's not a major fine. He, uh, you know, nothing much happened. So it can't have been a big deal. It was probably just, you know, we know it was about the vacation in the Bahamas. and the, But it probably wasn't a big deal, Roy. You're making a bigger deal yes. of it than yes. it is. Yes. Yes, and I hear that all the time, too. And if you look at <laughs> the whole system of, you know, if you, if you read the Mary Dawson's report, the Ethics Commission's report, you just see just how ingrained all of this business of, you know, partly telling the truth, partly saying, well, I don't see anything wrong with this, uh, that this influence peddling is somehow okay at a certain level within the uh, federal bureaucracy or within the federal government, then people will get to understand it a bit better. It's like, it's like Mr. Morneau's thing, right? It's quite clear what Mr. Morneau did. He didn't even acknowledge when he had to in, his, uh, in submitting his, uh, his, what he was involved in when he got involved in politics. He, he left out. Now, how can you leave out that you were a director of a company <laughs> and that there was such a company? You're, so, just, you're just picking on him. Yeah, you're just picking on him. And, and so I find this, you know intolerable as a citizen and taxpayer of this country and having been through the process like I was as a, as a leader of a political party and a leader of a government that uh, today, you know, 2019, we're still dealing with things that many of us thought that we were involved in privacy matters, involved in uh, conflict of interest matters, that we're going through our legislatures and so on, but that by now, you know, Two decades later, some of this stuff would be old hat, and that our leadership would be above and beyond reproach when it came to things like this. And I think it all points, uh, Roy, to the, the fact, and I think uh, two writers recently in the past week uh, did a pretty good job on this. Uh, Terry Glavin, and I think it was in the National Post, and Paul Wells in the McLean's Magazine, uh, his last article on it. Uh, where he really sums it up. We really, we, we really act, our federal government acts very wrongly, very unethically. And if you look at all the things that Paul brought out in the article, like, for example, SNC, Lavalin, had <laughs> a part of their, their people who were working for them, the former clerk of the Privy Council, had two former, uh, two, two lobbyists who were former connected to Chrétien, Prime Minister Chrétien and Prime Minister Mulroney, uh, that they had a former Supreme Court judge, Obiochi, uh, as one of their lawyers. You see they had their tentacles right in to all the various important divisions and agencies of the federal government. So no wonder they were able to get this remediation amendment to the criminal code <laughs> through a 360 85 page budget document 
Yeah. Because they had been working on it with some of the most key people who Premier, understood the federal government. I have to take a quick break, but uh, just before we do that, just 10 seconds here. Wasn't there a time when politicians, political leaders, if they would have been found guilty of four ethics violations, would have resigned? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially violating four different provisions of the act. Right. And the Minister of Finance violating two. Premier Brian Peckford is my guest, former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. Peckford42 at WordPress.com is the Premier's blog. It is well worth reading. You're a really good writer. You really are. You're a very. You're like a Rex Murphy. You're a political version of Rex Murphy. Yeah. Well, Rex and I went to university together at Memorial University of Newfoundland. So you cheated. You basically. And we did a lot of English classes. Oh, I was going to say you probably looked at each other's work because you, you, <laughs> your writing style is very similar. Really, very similar. Yes. 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 It's, it's uh, great reading. Very... So now look, uh, Premier. So we have the ethics committee, uh, or at least the ethics investigation. As Duff Conacher pointed out on the show last weekend from democracywatch.ca, Mr. Dion was selected by the federal government, by the Trudeau government and the cabinet. The opposition parties had no input, and yet the Canada Parliament Act requires that. So doesn't that effectively make, make the whole exercise by Mr. Dion tainted? Totally, totally. And, 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 you know, when you already have the Justice Committee dominated by the Liberals uh, in the, <clears throat> on it, <clears throat> and now you have an Ethics Commissioner who's been appointed by the government uh, without the uh, appropriate um, uh, consultation with the other parties, I mean, what you have is, is, is two approaches to solving this problem that are, that are, that are flawed, seriously, and therefore getting to the bottom of anything to do with this is highly, highly unlikely, unless the minister who resigned uh, comes forward with some additional information. And, uh, you know, I guess a lot of people are are sort of waiting for that. The other thing that really bothers me, uh, Roy, about this is, you know, some people are really sharp at being able to frame the story uh, and therefore divert your attention. And this is what the Prime Minister is doing right now, and I've heard it over and over again and, and read it now in the last uh, several days, and it's this. <clears throat> he says, I did not direct. Justin Trudeau did not direct the minister. Of course not. That's not the way they w- the business works. The, the person, the Prime Minister or the Premier, it's his office and the minions under him who carry out these things, all the phone calls from the Prime Minister's office uh, to the Minister's office, the Chief of Staff, the Executive Assistants, all of the other people who are working for the Prime Minister, that the Prime Minister knows they're doing it. That, that's, where, that's how the question should be framed. We know. Well, it seemed like another one of his memorized speeches. Somebody wrote it out for him, and he memorized it. And it's very, you're right, it's very clever. Uh, I did not direct. Well, yeah, but that wasn't we the know question. That. We know that. Anybody you know, that's followed politics in Canada over the last couple of decades <clears throat> know how the system works. The leader and the, and the prime minister and so on can always say that. It's his office and the other people who are working for him who do all of this. There were 80 meetings with SNC-Lavalin. And we need to know how many phone calls went from the prime minister's office to the minister's office, you know, and, and all the other meetings. So that's where the pressure came from. It comes mm-hmm. from a fellow who had been clerk 
of the Privy Council, Mr. Lynch, who worked with SNC-Lavalin. It comes from a former Supreme Court judge who's a lawyer for SNC-Lavalin. Mm-hmm. So it comes from a myriad of sources, including within the government, not the Prime Minister himself. Premier, I have a... All I, the people who work for the government. I have a minute left. What do you make of the Justice Committee? Well, as I've said, they've already turned down hearing from some of the key people, witnesses, to come to the committee to be heard. So obviously, it is just a charade. It, it, it is ineffective. It is wrong. And uh, the liberal members on that committee should really look at themselves in the mirror and decide that they are there to represent Canada and justice. They're not there to represent the Liberal Party of Canada. That's quite often, it seems, forgotten that your job is. You can, you can represent your party during the election campaign because you yes. want to become the government. But once the election is over, your responsibility, be it, the, be, be it the government or the opposition parties, your responsibility is to act in a pragmatic manner to the absolute benefit of everybody who voted and, uh, and every citizen in Winston the province Churchill. or in the country. Do you remember Winston Churchill's speech after he got elected, I think it was the first time, uh-huh. where he stood up and said, right, you voted for me, right, I represent right. this riding, but now that I am elected, yeah. I represent the people of the United Kingdom, and I must act in the national interest. All right, Premier Peckford, it's always great speaking with you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, sir, and appreciate it as well. All the best. Premier Brian Peckford, Peckford42 at wordpress.com. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.